Hey, everybody, everybody, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Monday, August 21st, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and across the country. You can also join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. And you can help out the show right now by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to give us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave a comment if you can. Let folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Check out the ricksmithshow.com for the ladies across all those platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist current streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check out the podcast at thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com or subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. And there's some absolutely phenomenal shows coming up for The Signal. I just want to say, just letting you know, stay tuned, folks. And attention all you gamers out there. The Game In is a Quaker Town-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, Walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts with every A on the report card due to school year, which is right around the corner. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at the Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get? Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. A shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. Two ends at Song of Day Man on Twitter. We can't let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on today's show, well, what could I say, everybody? Um, on today's show, it was, you know, initially going to be just welcome back. Um, I was away for the week visiting family and um, back in the seat tonight. 
getting ready for the school year to start. Know that things are going to start ramping up towards the school board elections coming up in November. In November, um, and just imagine to be kind of you know a little bit of a lighthearted end of the summer kind of show. But no luck, no luck. So why do I say no luck? Well, I say no luck because um, the Penridge School Board. Uh, where my kids go to school has just pushed through and is in the process right now, as I'm talking to you live right now in the process of pushing through the Hillsdale 1776 curriculum to be taught in public schools, our public schools starting next week, starting next week. Mandatory. We've talked about Hillsdale College. We've talked about Jordan Adams and his brand spanking new Vermilion education. And this extremist school board that has ignored probably the law, certainly community comment, and is pushing through the Moms for Liberty endorsed right-wing Christian nationalist curriculum to be taught in public schools. You know, it's, it's one thing to, it's one thing to study this stuff. It's another thing to see it coming. It's another thing to do the analysis, to dig into the dark money that's behind all these movements, which is what we do on the show. It's a whole other order of magnitude. When the rubber hits the road, and in this case, the school district my kids go to where we live is the national laboratory for installing Christian nationalist curriculum into public schools. I wish I was exaggerating. I wish this was me being kind of, I don't know. Ex yeah, I wish I was exaggerating. But I'm not. As we've been t talking about on the show, as parents and community members who have been organizing, who've been showing up to school board meetings for quite some time, have been pointing out, this is actually happening. And we just got the news right after the last school board meeting which i was away for i have to say that we have new instructional resources that will include the hillsdale 77 1776 curriculum american government and politics lesson 4.1 4.2 4.3 4.4 .4, and 8.1 right that's just the one for the what's that the high school one
my son's going into high school, you know, and as of last week, potentially as of right now, there is no social studies curriculum for the high school. Why? Because two things happened. You had the election of a right-wing school board, and I'm not even talking about the QAnon-adjacent Moms for Liberty folks who now currently occupy the school board. I'm talking about the one that happened before this, right, that had been building up towards this. Joan Cullen, who is now considered the rational voice on the school board, was one of the folks that attended the January 6th rally before the insurrection. She has been pushing for this Hillsdale right-wing nationalist, you know, curriculum in our schools, right? The only difference between Joan Cullen, the former director, former president of the school board, and the current school board, the current majority of the school board, has to do with tactics. Joan Cullen knew the law. Joan Cullen would use it. She knew how to find the loopholes to, to force through things in a legal way. This new group doesn't care. That's why I call them, you know, well, never mind. The Red Wizards of Fay. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Because they're after destruction, complete takeover. And they don't care about rationality. They don't care about law. They don't care about history. They don't care about the future. They care about only their agenda. It is literally a science fiction, a dystopian science fiction movie in the making. But it's now. So They push, they're pushing through this curriculum. Like I said, they didn't have anything. And now they're going to vote on this. They're planning on voting on this tonight to mandate the Hillsdale 1776 curriculum one week before the beginning of the school year. I was saying, I'm sorry, I kind of got ahead of myself. Why do they have to do this? One is this, that previous school board wanted to, was pushing for a, uh, a, a revision of the social studies curriculum to make it more America-centric more flag-waving, more propagandistic, more white nationalist. So the teachers, the social studies teachers, and the former administration and the curriculum supervisors said, okay, you know, we can revise this. Let's go through the process to revise the curriculum. We've got to respond it, right? The school board is the one who's kind of makes the rules, right? They make the demands. And so the teachers had to kind of do it. But the teachers, until recently, were still pretty much in control of the curriculum, right? So they spent quite a bit of time rewriting the curriculum, getting consultation and all this in order to come up with a new curriculum. And that was great. And they were just about done with it. But then what happened? The school board decides, okay, we're going to change the requirements for social studies. Even though that school board is saying that the problem is our kids don't know civics. Our problem is they don't know civics. So what's the solution? Well, let's cut one of the classes that teach civics. Really? But so they dropped the requirement at the high school level, right? From four classes to three. So now 
that's back in what it was November, I believe, of 2022. So now the teachers have got to, they just were going through this whole process. Now they have to scramble to try to get something through, revised for the coming fall, right? And if you know anything about revising curriculum, that is not a long timeline. A lot of work, a lot of work has to happen. There's a lot of back and forth that has to happen in order to get that a new curriculum up. And, and so they do it, but they do it. They're not happy about it. They're frustrated. Not to mention the school board was not kind of uh, being very, they were not bargaining in good faith when it comes to their, their, their teacher's contract. You'd think they'd want to kind of help the teachers out a little bit if they were asking to do it. No, no, no. They're coming down on the heart of the teachers, trying to drive those teachers out. So the teachers do it. Okay, great. They start to go through. They're doing, other, doing their best to come up with a curriculum, right? But the board never goes and approves it. Why? Because they go out and they hire Jordan Adams of Vermilion Education, formerly of Hillsdale College, the author of the 1776 curriculum that we're talking about tonight. And at first they're like, oh, we're just talking. We're just trying to bring in consultants and all this. But anybody who was paying attention up until now knew the fact that they were hiring him to push through their agenda. And here we are. February, March, April, May, June, July, August, seven months. Seven months later, they're up for the vote to change the curriculum for the fall one week before this for this the the fall semester begins. One week before the school year begins. Can you imagine being a teacher right now? And you're not even you you have no idea what the hell you're supposed to prepare for Monday of next week. And these people are mandating the Hillsdale curriculum. And they will say, because none of them gives a shit about the actual work of teaching. None of them understands the process. Even Jordan Blomgren, who's, who's been like the, the lead of this, who is a supposed teacher herself, even she doesn't care about what this is going to tell for teachers. Ah, that's not, not a big deal. They just got to switch a couple things around, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's that easy, is it? says Jordan Block. But here we are. The testing case, the national testing case for whether or not we are going to allow Christian nationalists, right-wing religious extremists, to teach their curriculum in our public schools. And frankly, there's not a hell of a lot barring lawsuits, barring federal action or state action that can stop them. Pennsylvania state government has shown absolutely zero interest in kind of stopping this downfall. And as much as the Central Buck School District has been getting national headlines, you've heard me say on this program again and again, Penridge is being ignored to the detriment of everyone in this country. Because Penridge does not have the weight that Central Bucks has. Central Bucks is the third largest school district in this Commonwealth. 
Henridge is a smaller school district, right? You've got a lot more wealth over there in the central bucks, a lot more like economic resources to apply and to kind of push back against this stuff than you do in the Penridge school district. Well, you've heard me say on this show many times that what's happening in Penridge is going to set the precedent. And yes, there's going to be court challenges at some point. Darren Lostgren has been, you know, Lostgren has been one of the, the, the first that we've seen coming out suing the district. We have groups of parents that have been organizing different packs of different organizations. We have, we have people who stepped up and are running for school district for school board this coming fall elected to try to stop this. But these people are prepared to burn this district to the ground and raise up a flaming religious icon in their own image as it wreaks destruction in this district. It, it's just incredible. <clears throat> let me just set the tone for a little bit and then we're gonna kind of like, I'll, I'll play a little bit from what's happening in the, in the school. Actually, let me go there first. So I was, uh, you know, listening to the school board. I know I started, usually we start at seven, uh, but I started a little late uh, in part because um, I wanted to listen to a little bit of this, uh, a little bit of the school board um, beforehand because I had a bunch of other stuff that I needed to do today. I'm just coming back from vacation, trying to get my own stuff ready for next week. But here's just a little clip um, from tonight's school board meeting. This is uh, during the public comment, right? Um, this is, I mean, again, this is probably a half an hour old now, but um, maybe 40 minutes old now. But here, I'll just play you this little piece. Hopefully this comes through all right. Here we go. Brendan Kirk, East Rockville Township. Uh, <laughs> So I'd like to read uh, to you uh, from page 32 of the Hillsdale curriculum. Consider how strongly matters religious faith define colonial culture, from the pilgrims and the Puritans to Roman Catholics and Jews, a wide variety of faiths, most of them Christian and many of them were intolerant of one another in the old world, permeated colonial settlements and their adherents increasingly came to respect one another as neighbors. Um, Establishing this religious freedom in law and order was widespread and exceptional. I would like to read for you some of those widespread and exceptional uh, religious tolerance. Uh, the Virginia Colony, the Church of England, was established as a state religion in 1619. That was not overturned until three years after the War of Independence ended. Uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony required every citizen to belong to a church whom they paid taxes to. Um, that meant that freedom of religion was something that not everyone could actually afford because you could only join the church if you could pay them. Um, again, in New Jersey and New York, after it was turned over from New Amsterdam, uh, the Duke of York uh, enabled anyone to choose their own church after they had paid their taxes. Connecticut established a uh, uh, the Congregational Church as their state religion. The Pennsylvania Constitution of 1776, the oath of office required acknowledging the Old and New Testaments barring Jews from holding office. The New Jersey Constitution of 1776 
Uh, quote, no Protestant inhabitant of this colony shall be not denied the enjoyment of any civil right, effectively allowing Catholics to be barred their civil rights. In North Carolina, only Protestants could hold office until 1835. And in fact, in the North Carolina Constitution, Article 6, Section 8, bars any person who shall deny the being of Almighty God a religious test that was declared unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court in the good old days of 1961. This is anything but widespread religious tolerance in the colonies. Now, I know everybody loves America, but why do the people who wrote this curriculum, the board that's reviewing it, feel the need to lie about the facts? Are we so ashamed about our history that we can't simply tell what happens, that we have to make up stories that are not supported by the facts. And these are not hard to find, by the way. Most of these documents are on display in American history museums or in the houses of state legislatures across uh, the original 13 colonies. Children should simply be told the facts of the truth, not lied to. We shouldn't have to lie to children to try and convince them that America is great. If we do, and we need this curriculum to do it, then we have a serious problem, and you have a serious problem. Thank you. There you go. That's amazing. Right? And this is a, the kind of thing, and, you know, I, I heard parents talking about this ahead of time, saw them because some of the discussions about some of them say, hey, you know what, I want to go up there and read sections of this curriculum and then talk about why it's a problem. This is a perfect example of this. Right? And... The curriculum, the Hillsdale curriculum, the 1776 curriculum is so insidious because it plays on people's lack of familiarity with the details and the facts, right? We've been kind of uneducating our population for decades now, right? This is, that has been, in my humble opinion, that has been one of the effects of the widespread standardized testing regimes, high stakes testing is to focus so much on preparation for the test, missing the bigger picture of the purpose of education is to understand the nuances and the specifics of the historical record. And like you just said, the purpose of education is to as best we can, share the factual record. Not present convenient stories and narratives that make certain people feel good about themselves. To say, and so a statement, now again, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm over 50, okay? And so when I was growing up, we were told this nonsense all the time. And there wasn't the depth of the historical critique that was out there or the counter evidence to, to go against this. And in part because we were in the midst of the Cold War, right? Everything was propaganda in the Cold War, right? Cold, Cold War was when, you know, the love it or leave it people were going crazy. If you raise the criticism, oh, you don't like it, love it or leave it, you commie. Everything was propaganda. And I felt that 
this is my personal story. Obviously, this doesn't apply to everybody, certainly. But I didn't go to a great public school when I was younger. I mean, you know, I was at, grew up in a, in, a, in a dying, well, at that point, it was a dying industrial town in upstate New York, central New York. We were underfunded schools. We had teachers who were awesome, but limited resources, right? We weren't the kind of like, you know, Westchester County, New York. No, we were like Utica, New York. It wasn't even like the main school, <laughs> you know? At one point, we had a ranking. I remember this was going around. And who the hell knows, like, how true this was? But, uh, you know, I remember this got reported in the papers that, you know, that, that that my high school was, like, ranked from 25th from the bottom for schools that size in the country. Right? I mean, like, that's, like, you know, the, the thing. So, you know, I was told these things that, you know, and learned it and grew up in it, you know, because, you know, community was relatively conservative. But everything on TV was conservative at the time. And so, you know, you, you learn these kind of these things like, you know, America, religious tolerance, right? And there were the things that I cherished, right? These ideals that I believed in about equality, about everybody being treated equal, equal under the law, the like, justice is blind and all that. And my lifetime has been a process of kind of like pulling back the layers of that propaganda to understand the reality of the history. And I'll tell you, it did not make me love democracy less. It did not make me love the ideals that I believed in about this country, whatever you want to say, at the time less. It made me want to kind of call out the hypocrisy and make good on those ideals, right? And matter of fact, that's the history of social movements in this country, right? That equal opportunity ideal wasn't true for the vast majority of people in this country for the longest time. Large numbers of people were enslaved for number one. Indigenous peoples had been slaughtered, driven off their land, subjected to policies of genocide. Working class people had no right to determine the conditions of their work. Women, did not have the right to vote, let alone social equality. The list goes on. But the story that I grew up with, and in, in tandem, right, alongside the propaganda stuff, but it was to say that, you know what? I also see these movements. I see a labor movement. I see a civil rights movement. I see a feminist movement. I see a, you know, I mean, I see a gay and lesbian movement. And I see people saying, no, we can do better. And you can't know that you can do better if you don't know your history, if you don't know your current present, if you don't know reality. If all you have are good stories to make you feel good that you belong to America, then you're living a lie. You're living a dream. You're living a, like... I don't know, like in a digital fog. And, and I, you know, I mean, it, 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 I guess it's it's not a surprise that I ended up teaching, right? I ended up kind of being teaching in higher education. I, I, I did the research. I right? And, you know, again, all every time I teach a class, rhetoric, democracy and advocacy, activists writing media. 
new media story change about, about these processes that are as much about a tradition. And that is a proud tradition. That is a tradition that we should be proud of. The only people who are resistant to that story, the story of social movement, the stories of ordinary people making change, of improving upon an idea, the only people that have a problem with that are the people who garner some sort of privilege or power from the old system. The benefits of oppression, the benefits of being the privileged status in a society, the privilege of wealth, of control. And let's be clear, what's at stake right now is that issue of control. I, I told this story once on this on this show, maybe twice. And it's a little bit of a different context. But I remember when the state system of higher education, in particular my university, Kutztown University, university we were digging in, we we're finding out that there was all sorts of things that were happening in there budgeting that were just lies, like the president of the university was lying to us, the 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 uh, the administration of finance were lying to us that the university had no money. And then over time, we, we figured out what the problem was. They kept on showing us the budget, say, here's this number, here's this number, see? But we knew that it couldn't be the case until we had a whistleblower, right, from Westchester University. Right? Who was a member of the administration. Sorry. Colleen Bradley was the I think, assistant or vice president of administration of finance at Westchester University. And she tried, she basically saw the same things that we saw. And she tried to blow the whistle and say, this is wrong. She basically found that there were two sets of books that the universities were using, right? the set of books that they presented to the politicians and to the teachers and to the students and the set of books that they showed to their finance people, which showed that they were using like accounting tricks as a way of kind of like showing certain groups that they were in debt and in crisis while showing other groups who they needed their bond ratings, high bond ratings and credit scores, showing them a different story that they were just rolling in cash and because they were rolling in cash. And I remember trying to explain this to Colleen Bradley's lawyer, right? Because we did a mini documentary of Colleen Bradley on the, you know, um, Raging Chicken, um, still available um, if you're interested. Play replayed it on this podcast multiple times. Anyways, and I was talking to her lawyer, and I knew I, I got the sense. Let me put it this way: I got the sense that he was not a big fan of faculty, right? That he, in his mind, he was a Trump supporter. Let me be clear. In his mind, right, it was the greedy faculty, right? He had bought into that narrative. But it just so happens, he was, he was Colleen Bradley's lawyer, lawyer. He was also her brother. And so he knew that she was a person of integrity. Right? And I, I'll tell you, she is. She's unreal. But he also had this counter narrative, right? That, you know, faculty want all this money and they all these privilege and that's why they're, they want all this money and that's, that's why all this stuff, no, no, no. And I would tell him and I would say, look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to see that and this is kind of 
off the documentary and we're having discussions. I'm trying to get you to see that the same dynamic that was going on at Westchester University with them lying about their finances that led to Colleen Bradley, your sister of St. but led to Colleen getting fired was the same thing that they were telling faculty and they were using the same narrative to fire faculty, to downsize programs, to increase tuition. And, and he was kind of, you know, at one point he's, he got it and he's just kind of saying like, I, but why would they do it then? Like what's, what do they get out of it? Right. Cause this is a public university system, right? It's a public university system. So it's not like they're just they're filling their own personal pockets. Although in some cases there were some administrators who were doing that, we suspect, then were dismissed with glowing recommendations that they could go on and do it someplace else. But most of it was like, so they could, what, have buildings named after themselves to, for, so they could for, further their own career? Yeah, there was some of that stuff. But at its core, and I remember saying to this something, and it was kind of like, it was clicking for me around this same time. It's like, it's just about control. It's not a tangible material control, a tangible material benefit like I get more money or I'm getting bonuses from the chancellor. No, it's about to say we, this class of people, this administrative class of people, we control the game, not the teachers. We dictate. And now looking back on that, I see that as the same thread, this authoritarian thread in American culture that was on the rise for quite some time and was beginning to kind of occupy all aspects of our lives. And it was about control. That is precisely what is happening here in the Penridge School District. That is precisely what's been happening in the Central Buck School District and is happening across the country. The small group of people who are now an increasing minority in this country, meaning right-wing Christian nationalists, white supremacists, those people, the traditionalists that say a woman should be in the kitchen. The man controls it. Look at Jesus and the Last Supper, 12 apostles, they're all guys. And every depiction that they've ever seen of that Last Supper and of Jesus has been of a white guy. So they think they're, they're you know, whatever but they want control. It is that group of people, those white men primarily, and their associates, and everyone who's willing to support that system, they want control over everyone else. They want the right to dictate the, uh, the rest of our lives, which is the exact opposite of freedom. It is unfreedom. They can only see their freedom in relationship to the repression of everyone else. They can only in their minds be heterosexual if nobody else has any other version of sexuality than they have. And so the only way you do that, because look, people are people and we are extraordinarily different from one another. So the only way you get everybody to behave in the same way is to increasingly control their lives, other people's lives. So that you as the authoritarian 
can justify your own beliefs and existence. It's the most despicable, disgusting tradition. But you know, you go back historically, this has always been the threat in a democracy. People been writing about this. We had, you know, we've had people on the show talking about this. Patricia Roberts Miller was on the show talking about how this has historically been the threat, right? This is the, the Achilles heel, if you will, of democracy, demagoguery. That authoritarian impulse could potentially undermine that civic core that is necessary. And in this case, what we're facing right now is not just like, you know, some like single guy like Trump or whatever, who's emerged is incredibly charismatic and all that stuff. No, you've talked about 40 years of undermining 50 years, really, but we'll say 40 years of undermining the public institutions that undergird democracy, whether it's voting, whether it's public education, whether it's a safety net, whether it's healthcare, all the things that are necessary to sustain and strengthen a democratic culture have been slowly chiseled away. Attacking unions, making workers more precarious, attacking voting rights, increasing the prison industrial complex, The new Jim Crow, right? And that's where we are. I, I want to play for you another example from tonight. Uh, let's see where we're at. Okay. Let me see if, okay, here we go. Um, here's somebody else who's come up and to speak about the Hillsdale curriculum. So Gene Pritz is up next and then Having a hard time, Joanne or John? You're Jordan Blomgren there. Um, Blabbering okay. in the background. Thank you, King. One deck. Right. Here we go. Um, Gene Fritz, Hilltown Township. Former employee, parent of two, graduates from 2006 and 2010. One of the resources that the Hillstown 1776 curriculum is based on is The Land of Hope by Wilfred McKay. And reading the teacher's guide, I was struck by, struck first and foremost by the definition of the word history, found on page 14. History is what the present finds useful to remember about the past. The questions I have is who is determining what is useful to remember? And useful for whom? History, according to Merriam-Webster, is a chroni chronological record of the significant events often including an explanation of their causes. By the very premise of their definition, the 1776 curriculum seeks to present history as a mere shell of the vast volume of events that shaped our world, and especially our country in a biased and exclusionary way. In The Land of Hope on page 45, objective questions and thoughts of slavery for the teacher to present to their children or their students. I found this particularly repulsive. Here you go. Question is posed, and I quote, how did slavery in the southern states compare with the situation in Latin America? Answer, 
Latin American society was more accepting of non-whites, but working conditions were dreadful. Death rates were high, and the slave force needed constant replenishment. In contrast, Virginia ended slavery in 1778, and conditions were healthy enough, healthy enough, that the population of slaves increased naturally. In fact, slaves in the antebellum South would have the highest rate of natural increase of any slave society in history, all quoted. The audacity of the statements like this are at the very root of this curriculum. Did they just compare the slave force to a soda in a vending machine in need of replenishment? Were conditions of slavery healthy enough? How in any way could the life of a slave be healthy enough? In what way? The reality that the slaves were brutally raped, forced into breeding programs, and treated inhumanely doesn't even enter into the narrative of natural population increase. Exactly. So I ask the school board members, who is making the determination of what is useful? And of useful to whom? We teach our children to learn from their mistakes. Our history is fraught with mistakes, injustices, and evil. We cannot, as a community, ignore the reality of the past or omit some of this ugliness just so we feel better. We have to learn from it so we can truly move forward. Depriving our students of the ability to comprehend the truth and only hindering them when they move into the world beyond school. It isn't, shouldn't, and can't be the curriculum that Pender School District adopts to instruct our children. Awesome. Right? This is what is on display. You know, I actually heard tonight, too, as well. I, we'll see if this is comes true that there was a reporter from Salon that's there. That was there going to be at this um, at this place tonight. I want to play uh, one more uh, kind of example. I, I'll tell you this. I, I've been wanting to listen. I was caught. This was going on right before I got on the show. So I wanted to play this. I haven't heard the whole thing, but I want to play this. <laughs> Um, Leah Rashel, Town Township. I want to talk about transparency around this too. It would have been very helpful to see the curriculum, what was removed and what's been added. Like, it's been a lot of time comparing it to what I could find that was already out there. Jordan Adams wrote this curriculum. Don't even try and pretend he didn't. He 100% wrote this. Uh, but in, out of all the Hillsdale lessons that I went through, which are nauseating, um, the one that struck me the most is section 8.1 of the ninth grade curriculum around civil rights, which is, I can't believe you're asking our teachers to teach us, but um, one of the statements is to clarify with students how the civil rights movement largely focused on the government's resolvability based on the principle of equality to enforce equal treatment as opposed to the creation of equity, that is to enforcing an equal results, an equality of results and outcomes. So there's one thing that the Wildly Torpedo Community Committee did was trying to find equity. That's not even the definition of equity and that you have it in there is alarming. It's exactly equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. This has been like your guy's song. You defined it that way. It's not the definition. Community Committee actually worked that out aside from your equity in your house. Um, but I'd also like to remind you of 
a book by Martin Luther King, because they talk about the I Have a Dream speech and the letter from the jail, but he also wrote ones, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? You should all read it. Um, King predicted that weight resistance to racial equality would stiffen when the agenda moved on to far costlier measures, such as improvements in jobs, schools, and housing. Exactly. The practical cost of change for the nation up to this point has been cheap. The limited reforms have been obtained at bargain rates. There are no expenses and no taxes are required for Negroes to share lunch counters, libraries, parks, hotels, or other facilities with whites. The real cost lies ahead. The stiffening of white resistance is a recognition of that. The eradication of slums housing millions is, far, is complex far beyond integrating buses and lunch counters. Then he goes on to talk about data around infant mortality, higher percentage of black Americans dying in Vietnam, school funding, college attendance. This is all equity. And so you're gonna have our teachers stand in front of our students and say the civil rights movements did not produce, support equity. You're gonna to have to say that to the black children in this community? Are you kidding me? Right there. Right and by there. the way, infant mortality is still highest in black in the black community by far in america so here's an opportunity for our children to have facts and why don't we work together with them it's like how do you guys think you can help with this how do you think that you guys this generation can change this instead we're just ignoring it hey, there you go leah foster rashi is also one of the candidates for school board this year um and uh, all the more reason we need to get people out look the bottom line is this this curriculum, just each of these examples that I just played for you, right? And I wanted to be able to play you at least some examples tonight so that you can hear how insidious the curriculum actually is, right? It's the kind of thing that is designed, right? And this is where the right wing is because look, they, the right wing pays its people to do this work, right? They have, they built think tanks, they built institutions, they built entire like programs for like, you know, to, to, to kind of funnel people through the legal system so that they get on the Supreme Court or in federal judge judgeship, like to go to get jobs in kind of economics departments in particular universities across the country. They've bought out, they, they, they invest in their ideological infrastructure. And they know, right? And look, these people who design this stuff, who write these policies, who write these kinds of curriculum, they are not dumb people. It just so happens that they are white Christian nationalist people. And they understand their audience. They know that if you, if you come out, you say, hey, you know what? White's better than blacks. You say it like that, that's not gonna go over very well. So you craft it in language that resonates with people about a particular vision of the country, right? There's a reason why the right wing has been attempting to like reposition themselves in relationship to Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King for so long. They need the, I have a dream speech, the one small section of it so that they can say to the world by quoting Martin Luther King, we're not racist while making sure that we do not have access to read any other thing that he wrote. <laughs>
and you got the letter to Birmingham jail, right? Which is critical of the kind of white liberals, right? Letter for Birmingham jail. I mean, I love the letter of Birmingham jail. Don't get me wrong because it does show about the problems about white liberalism. And he's calling out these kind of like, quote unquote, like progressive pastors. Right? So it's really convenient that you're kind of calling out this, but you're not calling out the hypocrisy and the brutality and the ideological commitments of the conservatives and the right wing. No, 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 no. You allow this to be a debate about what the liberals do wrong. You see how this works? But they say just enough. And the fact that you've got it in both the book that they want our students to read, our kids to read, and the curriculum they have, they have the question and answer. Here's the question that you pose to the class, and here's the answer that you as a teacher give. And for anybody who has no idea about anything that ever happened in history, it sounds reasonable. And that's what they're counting on. I, I just, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even. But like I, I was getting at before, like early, like early on, somebody was saying to me earlier on today that they think like somebody from the, uh, from Salon is going to be there uh, at tonight's meeting, right? Because look, this is going to be a national story now. There's no way around this. I mean, this is like a perfect example. I feel what has happened here in Penridge has been like reliving, and I'm just really have been coming to terms with this for the past couple of weeks, has been like reliving the Trump victory in 2016. I've been trying to reconcile this deep devastation, this deep sense of like, and this like blackness, if you will. Like, I don't mean that in a racial sense. I mean this in this kind of empty dark. I spent too much time with D&D. And this is really what it's kind of, I mean, the feeling is like this at its core. The idea that the crazies are going to try. But something about this, about the public schools, because we've all been to public school, not everybody, of course, but lots of us have been to public schools, right? And there's been thing that it's like, this, they're going to try, but they're not going to be able to get it through, right? They're going to try, but they can't possibly succeed. And they have succeeded. They're, well, they're about to, we'll see. In pushing this curriculum here. Now, the difference, of course, is that, look, people learn their lessons from the Trump years. Is that parents and community members knew that when they saw that this new board was elected, when they saw this Hillsdale College, when we started talking about what this curriculum was, what these right-wing kind of movements were all about, that they knew it was possible, <laughs> right? That we've all been disabused. And, you know, just as a kind of like a sword in the side, if you weren't disabused from the Trump years, then you sure as hell should be disabused from the recent Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. If you needed a freaking reminder, there it was. Those things that we thought were standard, that we thought were solid, are melting into air as we speak. 
So people organized. People are continuing to organize. People are running for office, but we are behind the eight ball. What does it mean to teach a class in ninth grade and omit large sections of the historical record so that you can preserve a white nationalist, white supremacist, Christian nationalist narration, narrative, story about what America is. It is 100% fiction. And it's not even good fiction. It's propaganda. And like any good propagandist, you know, I had, you know, Patricia Roberts Miller on the show, and we talked about this in her book, Demagoguery and Democracy, is that one of the things that, that authoritarians and demagogues are really, really good at doing is attributing everything wrong to the other side. Everything that they do that is, that is about their desires, like suppressing other people, they attribute to other people doing it to them. Right? It's like reading like a photo negative, right? You know, it's like, it's like when you hear them talking about, when you hear these demigods talk about the left, you talk about Democrats, you talk about, you know, civil rights people or black folks or black lives, I, I, you know, <coughs> Antifa, whatever you know, whatever the thing of the day, what they're ultimately doing is they're talking about themselves. They're looking at other people through the lens of themselves, but they think it's other people are doing, they think other people think the way that they do. They want to suppress people. They want to push people down. They want to keep everyone under the thumb. They want to control it. So they assume that that's what everybody else is doing too. When you have members of the LGBTQ community and basically come out and say, hey, look, we want to be recognized too. We want to have a safe space in here too. We want our history is told too. The way that the right wing in this country interprets that, the way that the demagogues interpret that, interpret that is that they want everybody else to be gay too. They want to force everyone else to be LGBTQ. It is the most warped kind of logic that is out there. When somebody stands up and say, hey, I've been abused, I've been mistreated, I've been ignored, I've been erased, and I want to be seen. And then you turn around and you look at that person and you say, die, because you are trying to make me like you. I mean, the abusiveness of that kind of statement is just immense. Because not only do you rob that person of their own agency, but you erase what they just said in that moment too. It's violence embedded in their logic. It's an eliminationist, eliminationist, yes, 
eliminationists. Yes, eliminationist logic. That's why we call this fascism. That is the logic. So I want to take a look at one more thing before I close for tonight. Um, there's a lot of other, there's a lot going on. And frankly, I wish I could spend the rest of tonight um, going through the school board meeting and putting up clips, but I think it's going to have to wait a little bit. Um, unfortunately, we have plumbing issues in our house and uh, the entire day tomorrow is going to be spent um, getting that taken care of, um, which means that I've got to prepare things for that. So I doubt I'm going to have the time tonight to do what I need to do. Um, but when I have time this week, I mean, I'm getting in the midst of all my preparations for going back to school. I'm going to try to put up the clips from the school board meeting because I think they're absolutely critically important to have out there. Okay. So now this is not like the most recent article, um, but this was just updated on um, July 26th, so a few weeks ago. But this is an NBC News, right? And it's about Hillsdale College. It's written by uh, Tyler Kincaid. Um, and it starts off like this. For years, Hillsdale College was known as a conservative Midwestern school that refused federal funding to avoid government regulations. And let's be clear, what government regulations is means that they're about discrimination. They wanted the right to discriminate against other people. Like they wanted to, go, to say that you, if you are, are gay, lesbian, and bisexual, we can kick you out. We can deny you access. If you are black and we don't like you dating white people, we can deny you access. Things like this. Anyways. The private Christian college's mission campus features statues of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and frequently hosts Republican politicians to give speeches. Recently, though, Hillsdale has become more widely known as the go-to resource for conservatives looking to overhaul K-12 education. For some, the college's name is shorthand for civics lessons that teach children to love America and reject the notion that racism per still permeates society. Amid national battles over what children should learn in public schools, Hillsdale is working to export this vision by setting up charter schools in over a dozen states and publicizing its 1776 curriculum, which emphasizes American exceptionalism. The college says over 8,400 administrators and teachers have downloaded the curriculum and a growing number of state and local policymakers are also seeking Hillsdale's guidance. In Pennsylvania, here we go. A school board in the Philadelphia suburbs recently hired a former Hillsdale administrator over vociferous objections from teachers to incorporate the 1776 curriculum into the district's coursework and advise administrators on books to remove from libraries. I'm going to skip a little bit. It's rare for a college to provide so many resources for K through 12 education, according to Chester Finn Jr., an assistant secretary of education in the Reagan administration, who holds positions at multiple right-leaning think tanks. And Hillsdale's teaching model provides something that conservatives are seeking for their children, Finn said quote, which is both here's what they should learn and let's shield them from what they shouldn't learn, unquote. At Hillsdale's footprint, as Hillsdale's footprint has grown, so have protests over its influence. Educators and liberal-leaning pa parents object to Hillsdale's curriculum, saying it inserts a right-wing worldview into K-12 schools. The American Historical Association has accused the 1776 curriculum of downplaying racism, the Great Migration, and the power of the Ku Klux Klan. This is Hillsdale says its curriculum comprehensively covers points of shame in America's history, mentioning slavery more than 3,300 times. Hillsdale, skipping again, Hillsdale has spent years integrating itself in national conservative circles, notably through a Washington, D.C. satellite campus that Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, helped establish in 2010. 
Former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, well known for her support of subsidizing private schools, in particular, this is me commenting now, religious private schools. She is a major donor to Hillsdale. The conservative writer William F. Buckley bestowed much of his life's work to the college. Larry Arne, co-founder of the Claremont Institute, a right-wing think tank, became Hillsdale president, president in 2000. Arne serves on the board of the Heritage Foundation, a prominent conservative policy organization. Former Vice President Mike Pence and the right-wing activist Chris Rufo are among the college's recent featured speakers. And the school's alumni pepper the staff of staffs of conservative media outlets and offices of GOP officials. This is what I mean about the right wing investing in its people, paying its people, investing in its people and its infrastructure. <clears throat> Skipping down would be the last, well, two more parts to read, please. Six months after President Joe Biden dissolved the commission, Hillsdale released its 1776 um, curriculum. This is the, the Trump established the 1776 commission in response to the 1812 project. 1819 project. Six months after Joe, um, Joe Biden dissolved that commission, Hillsdale released its 1776 curriculum, a social studies resource for K through 12 schools that claims, quote, progressivism was a rejection of the principles of the Declaration of Independence, unquote, and that the 20th century civil rights movement created, quote, programs that ran counter to the lofty ideals of its founders, unquote. Quote, that's a pretty political and distorted view of American history, unquote, said Sean Willens, a Princeton history professor who also who also uh, thought the 1619 project was a flawed historical presentation of the six, as I say, 18, I'm sorry, 1619 project was that one that uh, Trump was responding to. I'm trying to read very quickly, sorry. But they see history as politics by other means, and that's really the core of it. Skipping down one last time. Conservative school board members in the Penridge School District in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, contacted Hillsdale College earlier this year because they wanted to use the 1776 curriculum. Now, let's be clear. Joan Cullen, the one who's being considered the rational Republican on the board, was also a supporter of the Hillsdale curriculum, the 1776 curriculum. So let's be clear. So according to emails obtained through public records requests, Hillsdale contacted the, connected the district with Jordan Adams, who was then the director of curriculum for the college, but soon left to start his own education cons consultancy. In April, the conservative board members decided to hire Adams at $125 an hour to overhaul the district's curriculum, the first district in the country to hire his consultancy. Board members have defended him as a seasoned expert. Penridge Superintendent J David Bolton objected. In an email he sent the week Adams was hired, Bolton told the school board it seemed they were intent on implementing Hillsdale's curriculum, quote, regardless of what the staff thinks is best, unquote. Bolton, who recently announced his resignation, did not respond to an interview request. Parents and teachers have protested for weeks at a June 20th meeting where Adams recommended the Penridge teach more American history and pull books to discuss dark themes like drunk driving, sexual abuse, and suicide. Parents and teachers said it was important to address difficult subjects with students. Quote, it's not meant to do any harm to students or exacerbate issues they may have, unquote. Sarah Raber, a Penridge curriculum supervisor, said at the meeting, quote, it's to help students learn how to read, learn how to write, and to understand that every day they come here, they have resources that are cared for by the people in their buildings. I'm going to stop there. <coughs> this was an article that was published before the two latest curriculum meetings, the two latest um, school board meetings that is pushing through this curriculum. So 
this is going to be where we're going to live for a while. Um, I, I have tried on this show to find spaces where I think this is really important to be paying attention to and being focused on. Um, but I also think the broader infrastructure that is influencing this kind of stuff, like the dark money stuff, right? Other things that are happening. I mean, we've got a freaking climate crisis going on, right? Other things like that are, have been as much a part of the show. But this right now, it matters to more than just people like me in this district, more like people that the parents you heard from and teachers and things like you've heard from on the show. It matters to what the future of this country looks like. I mean, this is the test case. I can't imagine that there won't be a lawsuit that's going to come out of this over these questions about teaching religion in the schools. And if that's the going forward, there are going to be, there are well-seasoned right-wing legal or right-wing lawyers that are waiting for cases like this to take to the Supreme Court. We have to fight this. If Penridge falls... And then that's upheld as a direction that this is okay for this country. Where the hell are we? What do we even call this country anymore? I don't know. So we're going to be spending a lot of time thinking about this and talking about this. We're going to be talking to school board candidates. We are going to be following what is happening in the curriculum. We're going, to be, we're going to do our best to try to talk to teachers and the teachers union. Teachers are still without a contract. It's, uh, it's unnerving. We've got an election coming up in November. And we absolutely have to get out the vote. We absolutely have to make sure that we give it this our all. It is an uphill battle. I get it. But it is time that we must put our resources and our time to push back against this right-wing Christian nationalist takeover of a public school district in our backyard. This is not what I had hoped where my brain, where my focus would have to be coming back from my vacation, getting ready for the beginning of the semester. But I think I suspected that in the back of my mind that this is where we would be. So here we are. Listen, everybody, I appreciate you uh, stopping by, spending some time with us tonight. Um, as always, um, for those of you who uh, financially support this show, for our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash rcpress and become a patron of this program. Uh, I can't thank you enough. For those of you who have are new to the show after uh, getting turned on to uh, we're, what we're doing over at the Beacon and some of the collaborations that we work on, welcome. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to Danielle, our 
which I forgot to do on last week's show, Danielle, who recently become our newest patron. Um, I know Danielle from way back. It was amazing to see her uh, um, kind of to join on. Um, but people who have supported the show since it's since I since since we began Raging Chicken. For those of you who are brand new, uh, thank you so much, and I, I thank everybody who gets the uh, gets the news out, um, helps share this stuff. Um, we're seeing the slow dissolution of Twitter, so I think that um, it looks right. Like right now, we're going to be spending a little bit more time um, over on Threads. And yes, I know it is by the monstrosity of of, of Facebook owned by Instagram, but unless it's uh, a little less insane over there, and more folks are moving over to Threads, so we're going to have. Um, more discussions on there. If there are supporters of the show, um, please uh, find us on Threads. Um, we're going to be posting more there. From my understanding, is that the, the desktop version of Threads is going to be coming out soon, uh, which will make it a heck of a lot easier for me to be publicizing um, upcoming shows on that um, medium too as well. Uh, we're not leaving Twitter um, at this point, but um, frankly, it's uh, it's becoming less and less useful as a platform, um, other than the people that I know. Um, but there we go. All right, everybody. So with that, uh, one week from today is the beginning of school, and uh, this school board is doing its best to um, um, wreak havoc and chaos upon our schools and our students and our teachers. So um, let's join the fight. All right, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, we will be back here. Uh, I'll have to put out an announcement of what we're going to do on Friday because there's a couple possibilities of what might happen on Friday. Um, most likely it's going to be our, our Friday politics roundup in a way. Um, it's most likely going to be following up on what happened to school board meetings um, this week. Um, uh, but there's another, uh, there's another possibility. So I'll, I'll kind of keep you posted about that and we'll see what happens. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, thank you all for, uh, I don't know what that was. Uh, oh, God, thank you. Oh my God. I'm going crazy. Thank you all for tuning in today. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I gotta stop there for a second. This is kind of what I was almost playing here, right? I'm glad the end of the world's working out well for someone. There you go. <laughs> Can't believe my life. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you all so much. Thank you for tuning in tonight. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Um, this is Kamoni, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. We're out of here. See ya! <laughs>